let's say that you and me and a few other people got in a room together and ordered the Ten Commandments from the most to the least relevant. I wonder what we would come up with. Now, you have a head start if you listen to last week's episode because we know that the first commandment is the commandment. It influences every other one. Now, we know that that is first, but what about after that? So if you we were talking in the room together, we would say, well, of course, adultery, theft, and murder, they're all very important. Honoring parents, telling the truth, and not coveting yet, those are pretty big as well. Now, while we may not all agree from two to eight in the exact order that you may think, what is the most important? I think most would conclude that the Sabbath and no graven images are probably the two least relevant ones in our day. Now, of course, the Sabbath does have different implications for us, as we'll see later when we come to that command, but I don't think we should be so quick to dismiss the relevance of the second commandment. So let's read these verses in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The nation of Israel was notorious for making, worshiping, and serving graven images. In fact, Later in Exodus, before Moses could even get down off the mountain from God giving him the law, Israel was already breaking this commandment with the golden calf. They said, let us make us these idols so that we can worship these gods who brought us out of Egypt. From groves to high places to Baal to various idols, Israel was a repeat offender of the second commandment. Yet, God prohibited all of that in this commandment. Now, at first, we may think that this commandment is simply a restatement of the first, which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. While it may be a, an extension of the first commandment, it is not merely a restatement. God already, already told them to have no other gods before him at all. So this commandment is distinct from the first one. So what is this about? Kevin Young summarized it well by saying, If the first commandment is against worshiping the wrong God, the second commandment is against worshiping God in the wrong way, end quote. The second commandment is all about the way we worship God. Israel's God and our God is not like any other God. He is not like any other God. Therefore, he must not be worshiped the way other gods are worshiped. He is far bigger, better, and greater. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. This God must be worshipped for the God that he truly is. And that is what the second command calls us to, which is why he commands this. No graven images. This is the prohibition of the second commandment. Now, we're going to see what this command prohibits as we look at the text on the surface level. Then we will answer why this prohibition is necessary in the first place. He first told them, don't make a graven image. God prohibits the very making of any graven image. Now, what is a graven image? It is anything that is formed, fashioned, or built for the purpose of worshiping that image as a God. 
It makes a God after our own image instead of worshiping the one true God for who he is. Graven images give humans the right and the license to create their own God in their own image. So when God says no graven image, he's saying you cannot make me after your own image. When he said no graven image, he's pro prohibiting making any and all graven images from the imagination of man. He doesn't give his people creative liberty to worship him however they would. He prohibits them all. Now notice how universal this is. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. In addition to saying, you can't think of something and then form and fashion it to worship me. God also tells them, neither can you look at the created world around you, above you, beside you, or beneath you, and then make something that looks like that world and then bow down and worship it. It dictates that they could not create a statue out of the sun, moon, or stars to aid in worship. They weren't allowed to take a bird in the air, goat on the ground, or fish in the sea and form an image of it. God told them if they saw anything in the created world, they could not make an image out of it to aid in worship or to worship. He was telling his people that they did not need these visual representations and aids to worship him. He prohibited the making of these. They weren't to have them in their tents, sit them on their shelves, or place them in the tabernacle. Now, while God does have visual parts of worship he did in the tabernacle and he still does in the church today we think of baptism and the lord's supper there are still visual parts but god has and still does prohibit the use of images of him for our worship so that's what he's prohibiting and this is a total prohibition more on the implications of this in a second but after telling them not to make any he told them not to worship or serve any the next logical step with graven images is that Israel would not be allowed to worship or serve them. He gave them no space for this. They couldn't do as the workman would do who takes a piece of wood, fashions it into an image, and then worships. Now, don't you see the folly of what graven images are? Why would anyone take something that they built and then bow down and worship it? Of course, that is complete and utter foolishness. Yet God still gave this commandment. He told Israel again and again to not make or worship graven images, and they still did. Before Moses even came down from the mountain, they were worshiping the golden calf. Israel's Old Testament history is that of graven images and idol worshiping. It makes sense, then, why God gave this command to them. But how does this connect to today? If we rank the Ten Commandments from, in addition, most to least relevant to most broken to least broken, we would probably think that this one is among the least. We aren't golden calf-making, idol-worshiping people anymore. I highly doubt that you have a little statue of Buddha in your living room, or that you have a picture of Mary that you pray to, or that you have a crucifix that you bow to. We may not have those physical graven images, so we need to ask, do we even need this commandment anymore? The answer is yes. But we must get to the heart of what God is really keeping his people from in this, what God really wants his people to avoid. And a problem, we see that in what a problem comes with graven images. And a problem with it is that they seek to make God 
relatable in a way that he is not. Yes, God relates to us. And he has a relationship with us through Christ. He is transcendent, but he is also imminent. But graven images take away the transcendence of God. He may, it makes them relatable in a way he's not. We like watching a YouTube video of a day in the life of a celebrity to see that they actually sleep and eat and live kind of like we do. We like relating to people who seem to be on a different level than us, normal humans. Now, that is fine with other human beings because they are just that, human beings. But it is blasphemous when it comes to God. By carving a wooden statue and saying, this is what God is like, the Israelites would have been bringing God down to their own level and fitting him according to their image. Rather than standing amazed at God's infinite gloriousness, we want to be able to comprehend God. God reveals himself to us so that we can know him. But friends, God does not reveal everything about himself to us so that we may comprehend him. Yet, we still want to fit God in our little God box. That's what graven images do. They attempt to bring God down to us instead of lifting our gaze to God. These will never work because how can God be compared to a tree, a fish, a cow? Are you telling me that the infinite God of creation, heaven, and holiness can be likened to a cow that walks on four legs and eats grass for a living? Of course not. We know that this is foolish. We don't need graven images, and we must not have them because God is so much bigger, better, and greater. He cannot be defined and limited by our human explanation. However, as we're looking at this, this does bring about a very important question. Did God break the second commandment? Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible says that Jesus is the image of God in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. He is God as a human being. He's the express image of God. Now, does this pose a problem for us? Of course not, because Jesus is not a representation of God as an idol or an image is. He's not a representation of God according to man's standards, but he is God himself in the flesh. He can be the image of God in human flesh because he is God in the flesh. God became a man and men were able to see Jesus as the image of God. And one day we will see him face to face. Now, this also raises another question. Since Jesus is the image of God, does that mean the second commandment is now nullified? Because God became visible. Do we still have to avoid using visual images to worship God? The answer, I believe, is yes. We still must be a people who don't worship God by the images we create and come up with, but worship God by how he has revealed himself to us. Now, while we're learning about this, why don't we get controversial for a moment? There's perhaps no better current day question related to this commandment than this. What do we do with the show, The Chosen? Now, whether you know what that is, have never heard of it, or are an avid watcher of it, I think we need to bring this into our study of the second commandment. Is it biblical for us to have a TV show, movie, whatever, 
that depicts Jesus. Now, I want to preface what I say next by saying this. You may disagree with my conclusion, and that's okay. I understand this is an area of conscience and conviction. This is the conclusion that I've come to based upon what I believe the Bible teaches and my own conscience. I also know that many have believed in Christ through this kind of show and rejoice in that, as Paul said in Philippians 1. However, we need to ask some uncomfortable questions at times. Is the chosen good for us to watch, or does it even violate the second commandment? I believe that while the chosen may good and may be good and may have its place at times, it is unnecessary and could be potentially harmful. Yes, I know that I may be in the minority on this. But why do I believe this? I think it may be wrong for us because the actor who's going to play Jesus is going to be who people may think Jesus is like and what they think he looks like. They associated him with an actor rather than the word. Also, the details they have to add in for understandable content's sake may or may not be biblical. I understand why they do that because it's a show and you need more details. If you, But if you see an event happening with somebody who's playing Jesus, you may think it is biblically accurate even if it's not. And herein lies the danger. For instance, I've been teaching children's church before and had a couple of kids refer to an event in The Chosen that was not in the Bible as if it was in the Bible. Now, I think that is especially dangerous. If we equate something added for creative impact with the written, revealed Word of God, we are in trouble. I think we must be careful about any image or representation like this because it allows our imagination to choose what Jesus is like rather than the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, and I say this humbly, and I hope you see where I'm coming from with this. Our view of Jesus must not be shaped by a picture, show, or image. It must be shaped by God's Word. You may think, well, doesn't something like this help us relate to Jesus more and see what he that he's a real person? And I understand that side of it and can see that. And while that could be true, we must note that the Bible never teaches that we're to do that. And if the Bible doesn't teach us to do this, then why would we feel the need to do this? Hear again what Kevin Young said about images of Jesus this time. He said, the truth is, we don't know what Jesus looked like. And the Bible makes no effort to give us a physical description. And yet, how many of us in the West can't help but think of Jesus as a long-haired, high-cheekboned, Teutonic man with a far-off gaze simply because... We've seen so many pictures and portraits and videos where he looks just like this. He goes on to say, Jesus did the seemingly impossible. He allowed humans to see the God who cannot be seen. That's the mystery and majesty of the incarnation. We don't need pictures. We don't need statues. We don't need icons. We have the icon, Christ, the image of the invisible God, end quote. And Christ, as the image of the invisible God, has been revealed to us in the word of God. Therefore, my conclusion is we don't need any images. We don't need these graven images of him because we have the word and we know that the word is always true. So now that we've went down that rabbit trail a little bit, let's come back 
to the text about what the second command is all about, and that is the explanation of it. All of these commands are theologically robust. In addition to being God's moral law, each of them teach us a certain truth about who God is. The first declares that God is not among other gods, but that he is the only God. The third teaches that God is a God of righteous justice. And the second makes sure that we know that God is a jealous God. When God told Israel, here's why you don't have graven images, here's what he said. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He's jealous. God's jealousy prevented him from condoning Israel's worship of graven images. This word jealous is only used in five verses in the Old Testament here in Exodus 24, then later in verses in 34, 14, Deuteronomy 4, 24, 5, 9, and 6, 15. It is never used for any other person besides God. In all of those verses, God prohibits his people from worshiping other gods or making graven images through his jealousy. It is directly tied to the first and second commandment. Now, when we hear the word jealousy, we may often think of it in pitiful, sinful terms. But this is a perfect, righteous jealousy. The analogy has been used many times about this, but it works so well. Think of a husband and a wife. They must be jealous. If that husband saw his wife or if the wife saw her husband flirting with, touching, or kissing another person, we would think that there's something wrong with them if their heart did not burn in jealousy for their spouse. He will not share her with another because that's his wife. Likewise, God will not share his people with others because they were and still are his people. For Israel to worship a graven image would be like them committing spiritual adultery on God. He says, you don't need graven images and you must not have them because you cannot give the worship that is due to God and God alone to another object. But he also mentions his justice, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This is a very interesting portion, and it's a bit difficult. The second commandment has generational ramifications. This part of verse 4 and verse 5 are both terrifying warnings and a comforting truth. First, notice the terrifying warning. God will visit the iniquity of those who hate him to the third and fourth generation. What exactly does this mean? Does this mean that God judges the children for the sins of their parents? Now, we know that the Bible teaches that that is not the case. God does not condemn a child for the sins that his parents committed. So what does this mean? Alistair Begg had this helpful statement that helped me understand what it was saying, and I think it will for you as well. He said, we should not miss the fact that this is not a word of judgment, word of judgment to be pronounced upon the children, but a word of warning provided for the parents. Fathers and mothers are here called to count the cost of their effect their sin will have upon their families. This is a terrifying warning to parents and a sobering reality that their children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren may still walk in their steps worshiping images rather than the true God. It is very bad to not love God, but it's even worse because if you don't, it's not just going to affect you. It, will, it may affect those who come after you. But God contrasts this to those who do love him and to those who do worship him. Though he says he will visit the iniquity to the third and fourth generation, he says he will show mercy to thousands of them that love him. Please don't miss how much bigger that is. 
It teaches us that God is more willing to abundantly bless those who love him rather than judge those who hate him. He is willing to let mercy run its course far longer than justice. For the idolater, he brings justice to the third or fourth generation. And for the lover of God, he shows mercy for thousands. Tucked away in this warning is the extravagant grace of God. He's using hyperbole and contrast here. I don't think that means that when the thousand and first generation gets here, it will not receive mercy. Rather, he's saying that he will show infinitely, abundantly, and marvelously more grace to those who love them than even the, the justice he shows to those who hate him. God doesn't delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. Don't ever think that God stands waiting to drop the hammer. No, our God is a God who is willing and waiting to pour out grace and mercy upon grace and mercy. He may show judgment to the fourth, but he shows mercy to the thousands. Oh, this is good news. Put simply, in the second commandment, God says to Israel and to us, worship me my way. Worship me according to how I have revealed myself to you. You don't need to create me in your own image. Neither do you need to worship other images as if they were God. But worship me as I have been revealed to you. Because it is far better. So what is the final word of application from this command? Worship God. Don't worship a representation of God as what image or replica you can come up for him to look like. Don't feel the need for shows, movies, and extra biblical imagery that brings him down to us. Let God's word shape your view of who he is. If the Bible is all you have, you have all you need to worship him. The Holy Spirit will use the word of God to open your eyes to how glorious and wonderful he is. Because in the word, we see the image of God in Jesus Christ. And in the word, we see who Jesus is. And by seeing who Jesus is, we see who our God is. And brothers and sisters, by the way, though right now we see through a glass darkly, there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. And that day is beyond imagination. It is beyond comprehension. And we will see him as he is. So until that day, don't feel the need to try to imagine, replicate, or figure out exactly what he looks like and exactly what he's like. Instead, see him in the word and worship him, trusting in his love and his grace and his mercy. See his kindness and his goodness and his justice and look forward to the day when you will see him face to face. But until then, we worship him by seeing how he has revealed himself in the word, and then give him glory for the all-glorious, all-magnificent God that he is. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you will consider subscribing and leaving a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. So I hope you will join me next week on the next edition of the Taught by Grace podcast.